passage once again to the book of Exodus as we continue this journey of redemption together. The title of our message this morning is The Final Plague and Jehovah's Overturn. The Final Plague and Jehovah's Overturn. It's interesting here we have the plague prophesied and God tells Moses and Moses proclaim what God is going to do upon Egypt. And then we have a short interlude where the Passover uh, is, is declared and explained and then we actually have the carrying out of the final plague. And so we're going to begin in 11, but we're going to end uh, over in chapter 12 and we're going to save the Passover for our next message because it it needs its own uh, time for us to look at so the final plague and Jehovah's overturn we want to begin reading in Exodus chapter 11 we're going to read all of that and then we're going to skip over to chapter 12 and verse 29 hear the word of the Lord And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of his neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now skip with me to chapter 12 and beginning in verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, and to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh 
rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel. I just want to stop right there because that is the first time that Pharaoh acknowledges who they are. Remember all the time before he said that they belong to him? But now he realized they do not belong to him. This is the first time he calls them the children of Israel. And go, serve the Lord as ye have said, and take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. May the Lord bless even the very reading of his word. Truly in this passage we see both the severity, right, and the goodness of God. Point number one this morning, we want to see now that God delivers. God delivers both his revenge and his results. God here, now at this time, delivers. God delivers both His revenge and His results. I think that this is a very timely message as we think about the overturn of Roe versus Wade, this killing of the unborn that has been sanctioned by our federal government for these many years. It is as God has risen up and said, enough is enough. I will not allow you to sanction that anymore, especially at a federal level. And it has pleased him to overturn that. And you remember how that not many years prior to this, well, it, I guess it was, it was about 80 years prior when Moses was a baby, how that the Pharaoh uh, saw Israel and the children of Israel multiplying and he decided to perform a genocide on them that he wanted he wanted the first he tried to remember get the midwives to kill the baby boys when they uh, were born but the midwives what they feared the Lord right they were our unlikely heroes and they saved uh, the babies and and they kind of blamed it on the the uh, birth process of uh, the Hebrew women. They were very cunning women. They were. And uh, then, so Pharaoh said, well, we're just going to send the soldiers in. We're just going to send the army in. And everywhere where they find a Hebrew baby boy, they are going to cast them in the Nile. They're going to kill them. And remember that this uh, was not just a one-time instance either in the history of man, that in the time when Jesus was born, when Herod realized that the prophesied Messiah had been born. He sent out a decree. I believe it was two years old or three years old and down. He said for all uh, children to be slaughtered and, and killed. And the scripture says there was a voice of weeping in Ramah 
There was a cry in Rama, a voice of Rachel weeping for her children. It isn't unique where um, Jesus' parents took him to protect him until that death had passed over. He went to the very land of Egypt here. But now payday has come to Pharaoh. Payday has come to those cruel-hearted Egyptians who wept for the Hebrew babies. Who wept for them among the Egyptians as they saw them being slaughtered, as they saw them being killed in that generation? Who wept for them? But they're going to weep now. They're going to weep for their own sons, for their own daughters, for their own lives, because now God is going to take His revenge against the wicked. Beloved, I want you to know, I want you to mark it down, I want you to remember the wicked are not getting away with anything. Not one thing. God is going to hold them to account for everything that they have done, especially, especially against His children. And, and notice here, notice, did you notice in um, how directly it said that the one who would bring this judgment against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians? It was not Hebrew soldiers that would do this work. You know, all of us that grew up watching Charlton Heston and the, and the Ten Commandments. And uh, during this night, they, uh, this fog comes in and, and, the, and the fog goes around uh, from house to house. And even, I'm not even sure, I, I didn't have uh, uh, time. I didn't take the time to look it up. But I always pictured it being the death angel that did this work. And in other places where God did something like this, he does say that he sends the death angel. But I want you to know here directly in our passage, who does it says directly did and, and brought the final stroke? It says it was the Lord. It, was, it said it was the Lord himself that did this. And so as, as we think about the atrocities that occur in our time and have occurred in the world, and we think about that, uh, the wicked things that have been done. And we wonder sometimes, well, Lord, where were you? You know, why didn't you stop that? Why didn't you stop the, the killings of, of all the Hebrew babies or all the babies at the time of Jesus? Lord, you, God, you have all power. Why did you allow that? I can't answer those questions for you. And no, no one else can. But I, but I can tell you that, that God has a time and in His will and in His decrees, He is going to right every wrong. And He is going to bring His justice upon the wicked and for the righteous. Just go with me to the book of Hebrews. And just remind yourself of this. Even when bad things come upon you, uh, maybe people tell lies about you or misjudge you or... Um, maybe try to do some type of evil against you, and and you maybe your heart is, man, I wanna I wanna take revenge. I wanna I wanna I wanna get them back. I remember in the book of Genesis, you know, um, isn't it terrible that the first two brothers, one of them killed the other, right? And the Lord said, you, the blood of your brother cries out to the ground out of the ground for, for vengeance. And then a little bit later on, we see it, it's ratched up a notch among the descendants of Cain uh, when, when someone was killed. 
And that man said, I'll avenge him seven times. Uh, and, and the hatred and the violence of man. And it's terrible. It's terrible, the depravity of man. It is, it's terrible what men uh, will do to one another. But comfort your hearts in this. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's what has happened in our culture and in our day and why there is so much violence, why that there is so much evil, why men would vote in the 70s to sanction the killing of the unborn is because there was no fear of God in their eyes. And when there is no fear of God in the eyes of men, His wicked heart runs unrestrained. But hallelujah, there's still a God in the heavens. And God knows how to restrain the wicked. And God knows how to bring justice. And He will bring it Himself. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, think about this in regards to Roe versus Wade. All those judges that voted in the 70s to sanction the killing of unborn children on a federal level, they're all dead now. They're all, they have all stood before the great judge of all the earth, and he has taken his vengeance upon them. Every abortion doctor, every person that has participated uh, in that ungodly activity, God will judge. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that if, if someone got caught up in that, that they couldn't repent and that God couldn't forgive them, of course, that he, they could. But a murderer, the Bible says a murderer, unrepentant murderer, hath no eternal life abiding in him. And God, here in our story, as he comes through and he takes the life of the firstborn, of even the child of Pharaoh himself, apparently Pharaoh wasn't a firstborn. That kind of uh, surprised me because you would have thought that Pharaoh would have been a firstborn and his life would have been taken. But apparently he was not. But his own child, his own firstborn child was taken. And even down to the cattle. And here the Hebrew babies would be avenged. Beloved, I want you all to know that God is serious about life. And God is serious about murder. He, he ever has been. Go with me all the way back to the beginning. To the book of Genesis. Chapter 9, I don't want y'all to ever um, lose the understanding that capital punishment is something that God has sanctioned in His, in His Word. God believes that and has written that if you take a life, that your life is forfeit. Look at this in Genesis chapter 9. This was, after the, this was right after the flood. Look at this in verse 6. This is a clear teaching. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? And the reason is given. For in the image of God made he man. So what God is saying, when a person murders, when a person takes a life, God not only looks at it as that they are attacking that person, 
or taking that life, but God looks at it as you are attacking me because I created them in my image. And now they thought that the deed had been done. They thought that the cry of those infants, of the Hebrew children, had been silenced in the waters of the Nile. But beloved, God heard. And God heard the cries of His people. And now He said, I'm going to make the wicked cry. And I'm going to make the wicked weep. As they made the righteous weep. As they slew my firstborn. I'm going to slay their firstborn. And God was just. And God was right. If you don't have the stomach for it. Beloved, then turn your eyes away from the Scripture. For God said, I brought vengeance. I brought revenge upon Egypt. And I didn't get Moses to do it. And I didn't get Aaron to do it. And I didn't get Joshua to do it. I came and I took care of the business myself. And it took the slaying of the firstborn to break the will and the heart of Pharaoh and of Egypt to allow the redemption and the journey of redemption to begin and the departure out of Egypt to begin. And I want you to think about God's vengeance against our sins. What set us free? What has broken our hearts but the death of the firstborn? Jesus Christ Himself, God took vengeance on our sins, on His Son. And the Son itself refused to shine. And the earth shook at the death of the Son of Man, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Beloved, and we were set free as well. And this is a picture of that and never forget it. And glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. That not only did He come and He take vengeance and set His people here through the death of the firstborn of the wicked, but He also knew that one day that He Himself would be nailed to a Roman cross and vengeance would be taken and placed upon Him for the sins of all His people. But He endured the cross and despised the shame for the glory and for our freedom and for our victory. Hallelujah, we should love Him. Lord, vengeance belongeth unto you. Beloved, there's no redemption without the shedding of blood. He said, if man's blood is spilled, then man's blood is required. And the Lord Himself did this. But not only here does does God avenge and bring revenge, but God gives and brings the results that He has promised. Remember, He he said, uh, Pharaoh is not going to want to let you go. And I'm going to bring all these signs And he's going to harden his heart, and I'm going to harden his heart. And he's not going to let you go up until a point, but eventually he's going to let you go. I'm going to break his hold over you. Aren't you glad that God has done that for us in our lives too? That we were in bondage? That we were in bondage to ourselves and to our sin and to the devil and to death? But Jesus Christ has broke our bonds asunder through the power of his grace and mercy. And with His precious blood, He has set us free and He has fulfilled the prophecy. Now He begins to fulfill that prophecy that He prophesied and promised so many years ago, even to their great father Abraham. God never forgets His promises. Hallelujah. All the promises of God in Him are what? 
Yea and amen. Has He promised to us that He's coming again? Has He, church? Will He fulfill that promise? Will He come to us again one day? Do you believe that Christ is returning? I do. I say I do. And I say come quickly, Lord. Has He promised if we die in this world to rescue us from death and take us to paradise did he not say even to the thief on the cross as he was dying as the firstborn as he was having the vengeance and the wrath of God poured out upon him for our sins he even looked at one of his children the thief of the cross and said today you'll be with me in paradise oh hallelujah God always fulfills his word God always gets the results that he intends. Go with me and look with me at the promise that he gave to Father Abraham so many years ago. And now he brings to fulfillment on this midnight hour when he breaks Pharaoh in Egypt to the core. Here in Genesis 15, I just want to remind you that this is a fulfilling of the word of God, of the promises of God. And, and sometimes it takes a long time. In our minds. But God never forgets. God is not on our timetable. So don't lose heart in your own lives. For the victories that you long to see. Just like Roe versus Wade. For year after year people prayed. For year after year people wrote their representatives. For year after year they voted. And they marched. And they sacrificed. And they gave. And they adopted. And they wept. But then God turned it. In the midnight hour. Of this last week. Hallelujah. Here in Genesis 15. And verse 14. Well let's go back to verse 13. And he said unto Abram. Now of a surety. Know of a surety. That thy seed. Shall be a stranger in a land. That is not theirs. Did that come to pass beloved? Yes they went down into Egypt. Joseph brought all the family of Jacob and for a while they got the land of Goshen and everything was really good until there arose a Pharaoh that forgot Joseph, right? But this was the promise to Abraham. He said, O of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. Did they become their servants? They did. And they shall afflict them. What? 400 years, but also that nation whom they shall serve. This is Egypt. Will I what? I judge. Yes, I will judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. Now, sometimes I just wish I had a time machine, Brother Robert. Because I, I would love to go in it. And have an excellent adventure. Those of you that grew up in the 80s know what I'm talking about. And go back. And go back. And be there that. As they spoiled the Egyptians. As they went by the house of the Egyptians. And all their yapping dogs. Wouldn't even bark. And the Egyptians came out to these that they had so mistreated. These who that they didn't even recognize as human beings. 
These who their children they had just cast into the Nile and not wept for them. These who they felt no sorrow for week after week, day after day, year after year, as they, they saw them slave over the idols of the temples and break their backs. Now they come out and they laden them with all the jewels, with all the gold, all that they could carry and they cast it upon them and they fulfilled the promise that was made to their father Abraham 400 years before they went out with everything and with more. Hallelujah. Oh, the power, the wisdom, and the might of a God that delivers His revenge and His results. Beloved, I know that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How that the Lord Himself came down to earth. And it says here in our passage that the Lord Himself did it at midnight. He came down, Brother Kevin, and he went to the house of Pharaoh and he took the life of his son. Without reserve, without counsel, God took that life. That life belonged to God. God giveth. God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? The mightiest man on earth could not protect his son from the Lord. The Lord went into every house in Egypt that night and he took what belonged to him. For yea, the Lord hath made all things for himself, even the wicked, for the day of judgment. This is the sovereign God of the Bible. If you're squeamish, if you, if you, can't, if you can't bear to look at it, turn away. But beloved, that does not negate the truth that the Lord did this thing and it pleased him to do it. It pleased him to do it and received glory for it and will throughout all the ages. Of eternity. The Lord himself. Carried out. The sentence. So God here. Delivers. His revenge. And he gets. The results. That he. Had promised. And that he was determined. To get. His hour. Of vengeance. Had come. And beloved. One day. One day. The son of man. The same one. Who died on the cross. The same one who rose victorious and reigned in triumph. Beloved, one day he's going to turn to the Father, and the Father's going to say, Son, it's time. Go gather your children from the earth and take your vengeance on the devil and the wicked. And oh, what a day that that's going to be. And the Lord has already done it once before in Egypt. But it was just at a small level. But this... Is going to be on a universal level, beloved, that we've never seen. And it's a picture of that. Oh, He's coming. He's coming. Like we sang this morning. Oh, wonderful day. Secondly, God distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. Did you notice that when I read that? He said, I, I'm going to make a difference. Let's just, we need to look at that again. Look at, look at the sovereignty, the distinguishing grace of God. Oh, beloved, do you remember when Moses said, God, I beseech you, show me your glory. The Lord said, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. For I will be, what? Gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. God can save Israel and destroy Egypt. 
Because he's God. He's the sovereign God of all the universe. He's the king of the universe. All things belong to him and are for him. Are created for him and by him. And for his pleasure they exist. God doesn't owe any of us anything. Can I get an amen? Do you love this God? Do you love the truth about him? This is your sovereign God. He can love Jacob and he can hate Esau. That his purpose according to election might stand. But hallelujah, he would love any and have mercy on any and save any. Oh, how great is our God. Here it says, and against any of the children of Israel, look at verse 7 of chapter 11, but against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast. Do you know who were the protectors of, the, of, of, of life? To the Egyptians, it was the jackal. It was the dog. That's why they put them in front of all their tombs. They were their protectors. But now, not a dog can move his mouth. In the midnight hour, when Jesus came to take his revenge, to show that there is a difference between Egypt and Israel, he said, against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Beloved, there's a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. There's a difference between an elect and a non-elect. There's a difference between the world and the church. And the greater their differences is, the greater the glory is to God. And the greater the witness is of the light. And God said, I'm going to show you there's a difference between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. God distinguishes. Remember what the ruler said? This is kind of funny to me a little bit. Though there's hardly anything, there's nothing humorous about this story. But just the irony of God's providence. Do you remember when Moses first came and Aaron first came and they, they proclaimed redemption? They showed the signs. The, the people were all excited, right? They were like, because... I guess they just thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> they was just, it was going to be a cakewalk. Let me tell you about your own sanctification in your own life and, and crossing death into glory. None of that's going to be easy. But the Lord's going to be with you. And the Lord's going to strengthen you and, and help you and never leave you or forsake you. But, and that's the difference between the people of the world and the people of God. They don't have the Lord. There's a distinction, but you remember they were all for it, and so Moses is pumped up, Moses' old cloud nine, and he goes in and he tells Pharaoh, these are God's people. He has declared to me that you're supposed to let them go, and, and we're going to leave, and I know you don't like it, but you're going to have to allow it. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord, right? Who's the Lord that I should let these people go? These people belong to me. And as a matter of fact, if, if they've got enough free time, you know, to think about, you know, getting free or going out and worshiping, I'm just going to increase their labor. Uh, I have been giving them straw, but now they're going to uh, be giving straw, and I'm, gonna make, I'm actually going to make their lives worse just to show who's really in control. Ooh, it sounds so much like our own time and day. Because the people that are in power right now, they want to control us so hard, don't they? 
They want to control us so hard. But God's in control. Hallelujah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get to, I got I to gotta move on. I'm sorry. Remember that the people got so mad at Aaron and Moses because of what happened. They, they lost confidence in them and said, what in the world? You said things were going to be better and now our lives are worse than they've ever been. And they said, you made us to stink. Y'all remember that? You, you made us to stink in the eyes of Pharaoh and of the Egyptians. Oh, what a re- role reversal, right? What a role reversal now. He says, you're going to go from stinking to fan favorites, right? This is what happens in this passage. These that were just viewed as slaves, as as nobody, they're the fan favorites. Oh, we love y'all. Y'all are the best here. Oh, you want my gold? You want my silver? Do you need help with your stuff Uh, on your way to obey God? Let me, let me help you. Oh, Moses, you're the greatest. You... Pharaoh now is looked at as low and despised, and and Moses is exalted. Did y'all notice all that in the passage? Are y'all following me? What a what an irony! What a turn! What a di- distinguishing! How God is distinguishing here! And did you not? Did it not echo in your mind what Moses said that these are going to bow down before me? Did y'all pick up on that in the text? Are y'all with me in the text? Moses said, your servants and you, Pharaoh, now you're going to come down and you're going to bow down before me. What is that a picture of? Is it not a picture of every knee and every tongue bowing and confessing in that great day that Jesus is Lord? Hallelujah. Is he not at the last day, Brother Andy? Is he not going to make a separation? As a shepherd divides his sheep from his groats at his great white throne, all men, all nations are going to be before him and he's going to separate them, isn't he, Brother Kevin? And to some, he's going to say, come. He's going to make a distinguishing division just as was here. And now the dog's going to bark. At that day either. None of the dogs of hell. Not even the fiend of hell himself. He's going to wait in silence. To hear his sentence. He who brought death. Into the world. Is going to have the sentence pronounced upon him. Yes. He's going to say to some. On his right hand. Come. Ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. But to those on his left hand. They're going to hear, depart from me, ye cursed, in the everlasting fire. For I never what? I never knew you. God distinguishes in this world and in eternity. They went, hallelujah, they went from stinking to fan favorites. And the more distinct that we are, the more true the testimony and the more potent the witness that we have. Oh, beloved, I ask you, I challenge you, what will you hear? At that great distinguishing day, well done and enter or depart, and I don't know you. I love what A.W. Pink, he, uh, one of the resources that I'm using and studying uh, for these messages, he, he wrote a whole book called Gleanings in Exodus, 
And this was so good, I had to even share it with all my, my preacher buddies. But I wanted to read it to you as he talks about this of God uh, taking the life of the firstborn of the Egyptians, but sparing the children of Israel under the blood of the Lamb. Listen to this. I think this is so well written. This is no isolated instance. It is characteristic of the ways of God in every age. It is the same today. Some are in Christ. Many are out of Christ. Sovereign grace alone has made the difference. And all the people said, Amen. There can be only one answer to the apostles' question. Who maketh thee to differ from another? Let's stop right there. I wanted to stop right there. Was it just that the Israelites were just such better people? Was it just that the Egyptians were such worse sinners and so much more idolatrous? No! That was not what made the difference. It is God alone. It is not because our hearts are more tender or more responsive to the Holy Spirit than the hearts of unbelievers. It is not that our wills are more pliable and less stubborn. Nor is it because of any superior mental acumen which enabled us to see our need of a Savior. No, no, no! But yes, yes, yes. It is grace. Distinguishing grace. Sovereign grace. It's the discriminating cause. Then let us see to it. That we give God all the glory for it. And all the people said, Amen. Are you thankful today for grace? Are you thankful today for the blood? Are you thankful that God has distinguished for you in your life and separated you from the world? Even with all the kind of things that, that come from it. Uh, the, the, how the world looks at us. Like that we're fools. Like that we're backward. Oh, oh you believe in old fables oh, from years ago. Oh, you believe in some God and, and some heaven. Wouldn't you like to have been in a time machine and see that difference in the way that the Egyptians looked at the Israelites? The way that they treated them. How that they felt about Moses, the man of God, and the message of deliverance and redemption. What do you think they thought of? Probably they laughed all night, Brother Amy, as they saw them killing their lambs and putting blood over the doors. Look at these fools. Look at these idiots huddled up in their houses. They think that blood is going to protect them from something. They think that that blood is going to matter. Don't you think they thought a lot different about the blood of the Lamb the next day? As God distinguished between Egypt and Israel, between their firstborn and His firstborn. Oh, beloved, let's continue on. So God, we said God delivers His revenge and results. God distinguishes between Egypt and Israel now we also see 
Oh, hallelujah for this, that God displays the power of sovereign redemption. And I'm going to go through this one quick. We see the sovereign redemption that he can love Jacob. He can hate Esau. He can take the life of all the firstborn of Egypt. And he can, and he can save all the children of, of Israel. He can have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He can be gracious to whom he have gracious and whom he will he hardeneth. Amen. Isn't it a miracle that he would love and save any? Oh, I love hearing this story. How he makes the wicked to do his will. And even the tongues of the dogs are subject to them. And as he did for these in that day, so has he done greater for us in our day. Oh, how we need to continue to carry forward and love the banner and proclaim the truth of sovereign redemption. Sovereign redemption. It's the Lord, like Brother Annie said the other day, it's Jesus that saves. It's not any truth that saves. It's not any decision that saves. It's not any work that saves. It's Jesus that saves. And here in this story, God displays His power. His absolute sovereign power is on display. Mm. Look at it. Verse 9 of chapter 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that my wonders, that's his power, may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. He hardened his heart that he would not let him go. But then you flip back over to Exodus chapter 12. At the end, he's thrusting them out. He's begging them uh, to go. And he's asking them to even say a prayer for him. Did y'all know that the Egyptians were absolute freaks about death? I don't know if y'all have ever been. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but I don't know. Have you ever been to a funeral maybe where people didn't have much tact or much reservation and, you know, the people are screaming, throwing themselves on, on the casket, you know, just uncontrollable in their actions and, and in their, their grief. And, and maybe in some sentimental way they think, that shows how much that I love this person. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a display like that. Am I the only one? Some of you have seen that. Yes. You know, and, and it's, almost, it's almost embarrassing uh, to some degree. And it's not that we make fun of their grief or, or their pain or their, their sorrow. But, but this is how the Egyptians were. Ma'am, when, when they had a death, I mean, you know, it was horrific. And, of course, if you don't have Jesus and you don't have a, a hope of heaven and a, an immortal glory, it would be that way. I mean, that's the, that's the end of everything. And so, like, whenever that they would have a death, there would just be this huge shrieking, this, 
lamentation, you know, that would just be heard all throughout the neighborhood, all throughout the town, and, and, and for days that they would go on. And that was just for one death. Can you imagine this morning when every single person in the land of Egypt woke up to find that death had visited their home? Can you imagine the cry that went up, Drew? The way that, that they must have displayed and, and acted. But I want you to think about for 400 and 430 years, God's people had cried out in affliction and pain and hurt to God. And God said, I heard the afflictions of my people. And now they are hearing the terror of God that has fallen upon the wicked and their captors. And God here, beloved, never forget whom we serve and His power and His glory and His majesty. Here He displays, doesn't He, for us, His absolute sovereign power and redemption. May we give Him glory for it even as we view it in terror of us the severity and the goodness of God. Lastly, God not only displays, but God destroys. Here, God destroys the captors and the captivity. He destroys the captors and the captivity. Here, He broke Pharaoh. Here, He broke Egypt. And all their cruelty to the people of God. Go with me to uh, Psalm 126 for our last scripture this morning. Psalm 126. Oh, this is so powerful. And, and re we rejoice because we know that Jesus on the cross, that as it said in that prophecy of old, that the devil would bruise the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah in turn would crush the head of the serpent. Here in a great picture of that, Christ has crushed the captor and the captivity. In one night, he broke Egypt. Here in Psalm 126, I want you to think about your own redemption. I want you to think also about the victory that you're going to have over the devil and over death in your life. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that what? We were like them that dream. Drew, can you imagine for young Joshua, who was alive at this time and had worked in those clay pits? He had had to hew the stones for the temples of these gods. He had wanted to be free all his life, Brother Kevin, to see. God come and smite the Egyptians. And then all these people that had mistreated them come out and bring them their silver and gold to see the silence of the dogs of all of Egypt and for them to walk out without the sound of a whip, without the drawing of a sword. They walked away from all their nightmare. To follow the dream that God had given in place in their heart all of their lives. 
when God turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Oh, isn't, wasn't it that way for all of us? Can you remember your own experience with the Redeemer, with the Sovereign Redeemer? How that you were bound by your guilt, by your shame, by your worthlessness, by your unworthiness, by the grip of, of, that, of the sins that, that Satan and, and the doubts all the doubts that had been in your mind. And then Jesus came. Then the Redeemer came and said, I banish you away from this heart. He set up His throne in our heart. He put us on His way. He put a song in our hearts. He gave us life and freedom and victory over death and sin. Hallelujah. And now, we are living in that reality of that dream. It's not a dream. It wasn't just a hope anymore, Brother Kevin. It wasn't just a promise anymore. They began to walk. Because they, Brother Robert, they have been made free. As we have been made free. Let us live in that freedom. Let us never long to go back to Egypt in our lives. Say to God, God, Jesus, I rejoice in you today because you have taken me away from the hand of my captor. Lord, you have taken away everything that would have held me back from you and you have set me free. If you can't get excited about that, I don't got anything else for you today. Death, sin, and hell has been defeated. The final stroke that broke Pharaoh and mighty Egypt, the same mighty stroke through the cross of Christ, has failed upon devil, sin, and death, and hell. And it will never touch us, Sister Vicky. We'll see it. We'll know that we deserve also to be there. We deserve to be destroyed just like Egypt, but because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the will of God and His gracious and His mercy and His sovereign redemption, we shall walk in victory with Christ. At the cross, Jesus crushed the devil. And at the tomb, at the empty tomb, He delivered victory. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. That's what we ought to be crying out. We ought to be so excited about Roe versus Wade. And say, The, the Lord hath done great things for us. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. Don't you know that they were so happy as they began to leave Egypt? Oh, the songs that were sung. I can just, just imagine the old people, Sister Avis. Even though some of them knew that they might not even live to walk in the promised land. Don't you know like how happy they were for the young ones? These young ones, these children and grandchildren are not going to build the idols and the, and the temples 
of idols anymore. They're not going to bow down. They're not going to be slaves their whole life. That's why we rejoice when we see our children born again and touched and following of the Lord. We, we know that that's the glory of God for us and for them in our lives. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. See the overturn? That's what we talked about at the beginning of the message. One more plague, God says. It might be one more year for you, beloved. I don't know. It might be one more day. It might be one more hour. It might be one more century. But it's just one more. One more plague, God says. And you're walking out of here free to be with me forever in Canaan land. We're getting re- God is a God that gets results. They that sow in tears, here's a promise, shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing pre- precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. Say, Brother Nathan, don't you feel bad for some of those Egyptians that lost their children? Don't you feel bad for them, Brother Nathan? Doesn't your heart go out for them? Yes. Yes. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he righteously executes his judgment and his decrees. And he is just and true and right altogether. I feel bad for these out here that are in the devil's grasp. That's why we try to sound abroad from this place. The Redeemer. The freedom that is in Christ. That's why when we meet together, we pray that God in mercy might rescue their souls. Beloved, because there's a final plague coming. There's one more coming. Pray God that you're covered in the blood of the Lamb. May the Lord bless you and keep you as I pray.